You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. We have been going through the book of Philippians, and uh, we have been making our way through. Right now we are in Philippians 3.12 to 4.1, so I'll go ahead and read our scripture passage for today. Now that I have... Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Many Christians, at some point in the Christian journey, they go through what can be described as a uh, a spiritual plateau. A spiritual plateau, which is a, a, a high elevation that is flat, right? In the early stages of the Christian journey, oftentimes there's a lot of excitement, there's a lot of joy, there's a lot of passion, there's a lot of motivation. At some point, for a lot of folks, it seems like you like you run out of fuel and you're no longer growing. It's like you've been uh, climbing this mountain and you think, you know what, I've got this far and I feel like I'm doing pretty good. You know, I've been putting in a lot of effort. I think it's time for me to just kick back and relax a little bit, take a break, pitch a tent here, and before you realize it, complacency takes over. You just hang out for months in this spot, you hang out for years even in the spot, and you might not even say it out loud, but essentially you've slipped into this mentality of, I think I've done good enough, and I don't think I need any more spiritual growth. Of course, you still do Christian things, you still participate in Christian habits, uh, but it's just just for the sake of doing them. So, for example, when you read the Bible, it's just like, well, I've read this before. I'm not sure if I'm getting anything out of it, but I'll just read it anyways. Or when you are hearing a sermon, you might go, well, I've heard this before. Uh, I'll probably get a little bit fired up, but I know things will go back to normal uh, when I go home. Or when you pray, it's just like, I've prayed this before. Uh, I know I'm supposed to pray, so I'll just pray, but I don't think God will really do anything about it. I'm just praying just to get my thoughts out. You know, sometimes we go through spiritual plateaus for different reasons. Maybe it's because you have unrepentant sin in your life. That is a way to plateau your faith for sure. There's something horrible that has taken over your heart. And, uh, and you love it so much you, and you don't want to give it up. And this thing is just like this virus inside of you that prevents you from growing, from being healthy. But for others of us who have spiritually plateaued, it's not necessarily that there is a particular sin that is causing the plateau, it's almost like you just wake up one day and you just, you're reflecting on your life and you're thinking about how things are going and you know what? And you go like, uh, you know what? I feel like years ago, I was just so much more passionate and now I've sort of just mellowed out. 
and you can't really pinpoint exactly how that happened, what events happened in the timeline that caused that, but you just, it just seems like, you know what, I'm just not the same as I used to be. I'm not the man I thought I would become. Um, and sometimes that situation is even worse. When you can't really diagnose the reason for your plateau. It's kind of like when you go to the doctor and you know, when you go to the doctor and you say, I feel a sharp pain over here. It feels like this and it happened like this and it started this time. Then the doctor is more able to help you out. But if you go to the doctor and all you can say is like, I, I kind of feel funny. And the doctor asks you questions and you, you, it's hard for you to describe. I don't, I'm not really sure. I just feel kind of funny. It's hard to diagnose. And that's how a lot of our spiritual plateaus feel like. You just feel funny. You feel dry. You feel callous. You feel broken. You feel bored. You feel content. And you're not really sure why that is. I don't know if you've ever experienced that before. I I certainly relate to that at certain seasons in my life. I experienced a spiritual plateau. Uh, Maybe if you haven't, that's great. I encourage you to keep doing what you're doing. But if you have, then I want to say, maybe especially if you're going through that right now, that this message is for you. This message is for you. I mean, everyone else, uh, I'll encourage you to, to tune in too because I think you can get stuff out of this message. But if you are feeling spiritually stagnant, spiritually dry, then I want to say this message is for you. Today we were talking about the Christian race. That's the title of today's message, the Christian race. And as we'll, as we'll talk about, during the Christian race of life, the, the life of the Christian can be described as a race, we will go through phases when we are sprinting head on, we are passionate, there are other phases in which we feel like we are walking, and there are other phases in which we are just taking a nap. And uh, we're totally content taking a nap. So that's what we'll be talking about. So let's dive into the passage. Uh, in Philippians 3.12, the Apostle Paul starts off by saying, not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect. In Philippians 3.12, that's what he says. What is the this that he's talking about? What is the, I have, not that I've already obtained this. Well, if you rewind a little bit, we talked about this last week in verse 8. Paul's talking about how he is talking about the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. So that's, that's the whole section right before is about how he uh, is willing to give up everything for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. So that's his aim. I think that's what he's trying to obtain. He's saying, I haven't obtained this yet. I've, given, I've sacrificed a lot to obtain this. I haven't attained it yet. I'm not perfect yet. I haven't arrived, but I'm pressing on. And I think this is a good word for us because um, you have Paul here. And Paul, and if there was an all-star team, you know how uh, recently with the whole Michael Jordan Last Dance documentary, there's all this talk about who are the 10 greatest players of all time, who are the five greatest point guards of all time, and all that stuff. If there was an all-star team, you know, the five greatest Christians of all time, I think Paul would probably crack that list, right? He is, uh, he has a pretty good resume. He's like the OG preacher of the gospel to the Gentiles. He, uh, he is the writer of half the New Testament. He's done a lot of amazing things. But here Paul is saying he himself, he has not yet obtained the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. But he's moving forward. And I think that's a good word for us today because this mentality stands in contrast to how many Christians today think, we think oftentimes, that we've arrived. One of the biggest issues in the church today is what I like to call the deception of arrival. The deception of arrival. What I mean by the deception of arrival is that Christians, they feel like they have spiritually arrived and that now there is no more need for improvement, no more need for growth, no more need for transformation. They have all they need. They think, I'm already forgiven, I'm already cleansed, I'm already a child of God, and so all I got to do is just maintain a few spiritual habits here and there to make myself feel a little bit more secure about myself, and then that's it. And why do people think this? 
I think it's just because we've traded in a relational Christianity for a transactional Christianity. We've traded in a relational Christianity for a transactional Christianity. They think of Christianity as a transaction. They, they pray a prayer. I put in my stuff. I pray a prayer. And then I get saved. I get my, my product. And now I'm done. And now I do a few things to sort of make sure that this transaction that I held and that, that, that we had in the past was legit and then I'm good to go. But Christianity was never meant to be a transaction. It was always meant to be a relationship. And that's why Paul is talking about the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. Of knowing Christ Jesus. It's not just about getting stuff from Christ Jesus. It's about knowing Christ Jesus. And the way relationships work, if you ever had, if you ever been in a relationship with someone, whether a dating relationship, a parent-child relationship, friend relationship, you know that you can never fully know somebody. You never arrive in a relationship. You, what you do in a relationship is you go deeper and deeper and deeper. And I love how Paul phrases this in verse 12. He says, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I love this because Paul makes it clear the only reason we can make Jesus our own is because Jesus first chose to make us his own. The only reason we can be in a relationship with Jesus is because Jesus first chose to be in a relationship with us. You know, the Christian journey is not about convincing God to be in a relationship with us. Sometimes that's how we operate, right? We have this transaction and we have to put in our time, do our spiritual habits here and there to sort of convince God that our transaction is still legit. The fact of the matter is, the fact of the matter is, he wanted to be in a relationship with us far before we even cared about him. And so the Christian journey is about us responding to God's invitation to be in relationship with us. So let's keep reading on. Uh, verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Paul emphasizes again, I haven't made it yet. I haven't arrived. I have not yet made it my own. You know, I don't know if you've ever looked at um, the state of your spiritual walk, and you thought, man, I have so many problems. I have such a long way to go. I have so many ways I can improve. Well, welcome to the club. Because that's exactly what Paul is saying too. He's saying, I do not consider that I've made it my own. He's still pressing on, right? So what should you do? Well, Paul, let's read what Paul says. He says, uh, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Or to paraphrase, you know, this is one of my favorite movies. In the words of Pumbaa from Lion King, he says, It's times like this, my buddy Timon here says, you got to put your behind in your past. And then Timon says, no, 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 amateur. Lie down before you hurt yourself. It's you got to put your past behind you. That's what he says. Okay, so you got to put your past behind you. And I think that's the sentiment that Paul wants to express here, that Paul is picturing life as this lifelong race. It's a lifelong race, and you can either look forward or you can look backward. And I don't know if you've ever done any sort of racing, whether it's a, you're swimming or, ra- or running or biking, or if you've ever done any racing, maybe you've heard coaches say, don't look back. Don't look back. Keep your eyes forward and don't look by. And you might wonder why. Why is it that you can't look back? Is it because, you know, by twisting your head, you're, you know, you're ruining, ruining your aerodynamic momentum or whatever? No, I don't think that's the case. That might be true, but I think there are two reasons I can think of why you shouldn't look back when you're in the middle of a race. Number one, when you look back, you might drift off course because your eyes are drifting from where you're headed, right? So that's the first thing. You might not go straight anymore. And secondly, and I think most importantly, when you look back, it is typically 
because you are afraid someone behind you is catching up to you. You're looking back and you're wondering, how, how well am I doing? Is someone going to catch up to me? It's a sign of doubt. And then you are no longer running to win, but you are running to avoid losing. Looking back, it's uh, associated with negative thoughts creeping up into your mind. And you know why many of us aren't growing spiritually? I think it's because we keep looking back. We keep looking back. We keep focusing on the past that we have. We keep focusing on the circumstances that surround us. We keep focusing on the sins that mark us. And the more we focus on these things, the more doubt we have to be able to run this race. And we might say stuff like, I can't be a Christian, look at my history. Or I, we might say stuff like, I can't change, just look at what, I, what I've done. Or look at who I am. But here's the thing about the Christian life. The true test of the Christian is not about how often you sin. The true test of the Christian is about what you do when you sin. And what you do is, do you look back or do you look forward? That's the true test of the Christian. Do you look back and allow your sin to define you? Or do you look forward, repent of your sin, and you just keep trudging along? I love this excerpt from the great philosopher, Rocky Balboa. He says in the 2006 Rocky Balboa film, the world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place and I don't care how tough you are. It will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. Or put it another way, in the words of Bruce Wayne's father, Thomas Wayne, in Batman Begins, and later this line is echoed by Alfred at the end of the movie. It's sort of a neat bow tie on the whole movie. He asks, why do we fall, Bruce, so we can learn to pick ourselves up? You know, in this race of life, we will all fall at times. That is part of the journey. And some of us will fall more than others, and we'll look around and we go, how come I'm falling down all the time? Other people seem to be doing just fine. But we all fall. And sometimes, you know, maybe you've thought this too, I've thought this too, you will wonder how it is possible that you've been walking with Jesus for so long, how it is possible that you know so much about the Christian faith, you can pull out Bible verses just like that, and you have Christian friends around you just like that, but you fall so easily to the same old sins. And during those moments, which happen quite often, you have two choices. You have two options. You either forget what lies ahead of you and hold on to what is behind you, or you forget what is behind you and you hold on to what lies ahead of you. Those are your two choices. But it's easier said than done, right? You know, we all want to keep trudging along, to keep moving, to keep running this race. But how do we do it? In the middle of the struggle, how do we stay vigilant? How do we practically stay focused on the prize? Well, there's no secret weapon. But I think uh, in the rest of this passage, Paul offers several tips for us. Now, lay them out. There are three different things I think Paul suggests that we should do in order to continue pressing on uh, toward what lies ahead. And here's the first thing. We need to relearn what we already know. We need to relearn what we already know. Paul says in verse 16, only let us hold true to not, to catch this, only let us hold true to uh, Not new things, things we want to obtain, but what we have attained. In other words, 
there are these things we already know, and we need to hold on to those things that we already know. The phrase here, hold true, comes from this Greek word, which means to march in a row as a soldier. That's what that word means, and it has this picture of us marching in sync with the truths that we already know. You know, sometimes we think of Christian growth as learning new things. We equate growth with knowledge. So we have new knowledge and we have new growth. And so when we stop learning new things, we may think that we sort of maxed out on our growth. It's like we leveled up. It's like we are at the max level we can possibly have. Maybe, and maybe we think we, we have arrived. But the thing is, Christian growth is about holding true to what you already know. It's not necessarily about learning new things. It's about relearning things that you already knew and then reapplying them in new and deeper ways. You know, that's why we read the same Bible verses over and over. It's not like we uh, don't know these Bible verses. We know them, but we read them over and over. And that's why we pray the same prayers over and over. It's not like we just didn't realize we prayed the same prayer. We pray the same prayers over and over. And that's why we talk to the same people over and over. You're not learning new content necessarily, but you are applying old content, what you already know, in new ways. You know, just one example. Uh, when I graduated from college, I had a civil engineering degree, and I was at a sort of a crossroads in my life. If you were to ask me if I was a follower of Jesus, I would definitely say yes. Uh, by the time, I was sensing this desire to enter into a career in ministry, but I wasn't sure if I was supposed to do that. And uh, I decided to give it a try for at least a year. I was interning at a college ministry, and I loved it. And I, uh, but even though I loved it, I felt torn apart about this because I had this degree, and uh, I wasn't sure if I wanted to commit it to ministry as a permanent career uh, because I had this option to have a potentially a better-paying, uh, more stable career. And one day I was reading the Bible with my wife. We were dating at the time. I came across Matthew 8.22, which reads, And Jesus said to him, Follow me. And leave the dead to bury their own dead. And I remember I, I talked to uh, uh, VK, my wife at the time, and I said, what does that mean? And she looked at me and she said, I think you're supposed to let go of engineering, let the dead bury their, be- their dead, and go into full-time ministry. And, um, and when that happened, that was sort of one of the most defining moments in my life because I, I felt like a light bulb went off. And the thing about the incident was I never learned anything new I always, again, I I thought of myself as a follower of Jesus, and I knew I was trying to follow Jesus. I knew that following Jesus required sacrifice. I knew all of those things. But in that moment, I realized something at the deep level, the deep heart, inner heart level, that following Jesus requires a sacrifice in this specific manner, the giving up of a potentially stable career. I had read this verse a bunch of times before. But this verse now was applied in a new context. I relearned what I already knew, and that's what caused me to grow. So that's the first tip. Relearn what you already know. Here's the second thing to keep in mind. We need to walk in community. Let's go to verse 17. Paul says in verse 17, uh, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Now, this might seem pretty basic to you, but as we just said, we need to relearn what we already know. So even if you already know this, let's tune in and listen to what Paul is saying. Paul is saying to the Philippians, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. In other words, we need to be spending time with people who are walking in the faith. And why? Verse 18 and 19 keeps going. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory and their shame with minds set on earthly things. So here's why, uh, according to Paul, we need Christian community. is because the world is full of people who have set their minds on earthly things. 
The world is full of what Paul calls enemies of the cross of Christ, anti-gospel people, people who are not running this race of faith with us. And when we are immersed in this world, what will naturally happen is we will see that our values are different from the values of the world. And we will wonder why is that distinction is there. And when we look around, we see people hanging out, taking a nap, having a good time, not running this race. And we may wonder ourselves, why am I putting in so much effort in running this race if everyone around us seems to be doing just fine? And that's why we need to be immersed in community. That's why we need to have what Paul calls examples among us. The only way to run this race is to run it with other people. The only way to run this race of Christian community is to run this race and look around and see that guy's running with me. That girl's running with me. And because they're doing it, I can do it too. If you're running solo, you can only last so long before you give up. But when you're running community, you can help people run and they can help you run. So we need to relearn what we already know. We need to walk in community. Here's a third one. We need to place our hope in heaven. As Paul said earlier, there are these so-called enemies of Christ. They're setting their minds on earthly things. And then Paul contrasts that with verse 20 and verse 21. He says, but our citizenship is in not earthly things, but in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So here's the final thing that keeps us motivated to run this race, to keep looking ahead, not looking back. It's this recognition that our citizenship is not in this world, but in heaven. When your mind is set on earthly things, you will have a cap on how much motivation you can have. There's no assurance that things will pan out ultimately, whatever your goal is, whatever your earthly mindset goal is. Maybe your goal is to uh, run the race of having a good career. Maybe you're running the race of being physically healthy. Maybe you're running the race of uh, advancing certain political agendas. Whatever your race is that you're running, you might have some communities, some people to run with. Uh, You might have good reasons to run it, but there is no assurance that what you really want will actually pan out. And let me tell you, a lot of those races are not bad races to run, and I run some of those races myself, but many of those races won't work out. And sometimes that realization can be discouraging. It can be discouraging when you're thinking about how you're progressing in your race. And you, and you go, man, I feel like I'm running this race, and I'm the same place where I was before, and the goal doesn't seem closer than it was before. But when your citizenship is in heaven, then everything changes. When you're running the race toward heaven, then you are assured that your goal will work out. Because in the Christian faith, catch this, this is key. In the Christian faith, your ability to run the race is not dependent on your running ability. It is dependent on Jesus' carrying ability. In the Christian race, your ability to run this race is not dependent on your running ability. It is dependent on Jesus' carrying ability. And because Jesus is there with you, you are assured that you will reach the end of the race. You are assured that you will receive this prize of knowing Jesus Christ at the end of the race. And that assurance is the motivation, I think, to keep us running. You know, some people, there's a saying that people throw around. It's not about the destination. It's about the journey. Maybe you've heard that. I think it's partially true in some contexts, uh, but I would submit to you, in the Christian faith, the journey is important, of course, but in the Christian faith, the destination is glorious, and the destination is what keeps us going. 
the destination of heaven, of glory, of being with Christ, of knowing the surpassing worth of Jesus, that is what keeps us running. And so, yes, while we are on earth, we run all sorts of races here on earth. We give ourselves to seek the welfare of our cities. We give ourselves to act justly and walk humbly. We give ourselves to serving the poor among us. We give ourselves to blessing people when they are in need and doing all these things. And but simultaneously, we recognize that all of these things that we do is not for the ultimate destination of building a perfect America, but it is for building a perfect heaven. Our ultimate goal isn't to make America great, it is to make the kingdom of God great. I don't know where you are at today. Maybe some of you are here and uh, you're tuning in and you don't identify as a Christian. Maybe you're not running this race. You're just, maybe you're just on the sidelines looking at people running this race and wondering what that race is like. Maybe you're just checking it out. Or maybe you are here today, you are running this race, but like I mentioned earlier, maybe you're on a spiritual plateau. You sort of just petered out a little bit. It started as a run, now it's a walk, and maybe you're thinking about coming to a standstill, a complete stop, and you're feeling dry and calloused. Wherever you are, whatever box you check, whatever bucket you fall into, may I invite you to forget the past and look to the future. Consider forgetting everything that is holding you back. Whatever your sins are, whatever your burdens are, whatever your barriers are, throw them aside. Stop looking back and run this race with me and with all of us at the Village Church. You know, one of my favorite verses is Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. I'm just going to read this out. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now we talked about all the different ways to forget the past and to look ahead to the future. We talked about how we need to relearn what we already know. We talked about how we need to walk with community. We talked about how we need to place our hope in heaven. But here's one final thing I want to add to that list, which is found in Hebrews 12, 1-2. We look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. You see, the reason we can run our race with endurance is because Jesus first ran his race with endurance. And the reason why we can, uh, the reason why we can lay aside every weight and sin is because Jesus took on our every weight and sin. And the reason why we can endure the race set before us is because Jesus endured the race set before him. And because, and the reason why we can be assured of this future victory as citizens of heaven is because Jesus is now victoriously seated at the right hand of God. And so Jesus is the reason why we can run this race. So let's keep running this race. Let's keep looking toward heaven. Let's keep looking to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus and how he is the way, the truth, and the life. And he is the means. He is the foundation. He is the the method. He is everything we need to run this race with endurance. God, we fall so often. Some of us, we feel like we do nothing but fall. We're just falling over and over and over again, and we don't know why. But why do we fall? So that we can learn that you are there to pick us up. May we depend not on our own efforts. May we depend on you. 
your ability to save, your ability to transform, your ability to redeem, your ability to intervene in our lives. May we hold on to Jesus. May we trust in him. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.